message is about teaching, and uh, as you saw on our sign, or maybe you didn't see on our sign out, out front there, it says um, to pray for our teachers and our students that are heading back to school. Uh, it's really um, kind of, a, there's a lot of unknowns still, you know, with, with COVID and all the things that are, that are happening, and so um, I want us to be in prayer for them, and, uh, and I'll pray in just a moment for them, but I did a little research about crazy things that teachers say, and uh, how many teachers are here today? I know a couple of them were, were here, and then um, that we have a lot of teachers in the church, and, and, uh, but uh, teachers never thought that they would say these things. I looked these up, except for one, which is what, what my wife said, and then I'll share that one with you at the end, but that's a glue stick, not chapstick. Peeing on the playground is not acceptable behavior. No, you cannot start a twerking club. Please don't bring the iPad into the bathroom when we're in a Zoom meeting. Stop eating your mask. And my wife's personal favorite, you swallowed a tack? True story, it actually happened. What are teachers going to say in 21-22 school year? I don't know, but I want to pray for them. I want to pray for our students, and I ask that you join me. Will you bow your heads? Lord, this school year is coming up, and it's a somewhat back-to-normal school year. But Lord, we ask that you would protect all the teachers and students. We, we certainly don't want to see what happened again last year where Many are sent home, and, and just to be able to learn from a home environment is very difficult. Um, they need to be in front of good teaching, and um, they need to be around their, their peers and, and to help them grow. I pray for patience for our teachers uh, and our administrators, and I, I just pray that you would just have your hand upon all the schools. I pray for the students to, to grow most of all, to learn to, to love one another. Uh, I pray for a revival to take place in our schools, that our Christian students would be open enough and willing enough, bold enough to share their faith. I pray you'd give them boldness. As I taught for 16 years, God, I, I pray that that boldness would be willingness to share our faith with, with our friends and and our, and our classmates, and I just pray, God, that you would bring a special blessing upon this school year, one that we could only attribute to you and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So good teachers, they're a treasure, aren't they? You ever have a really, really great teacher, and you're just like, man, I struck gold. Or you, for your child, you feel like, oh, they are the best. I remember in middle school I had a teacher, his name was Mr. Money, and he lived up to his name. Man, he had fascinating stories. I loved listening to Mr. Money teach. He was great. Then there's bad teachers. You probably had your share of bad teachers. Some of your children may have had some, some teachers you thought were, eh. I had a physics professor once. I could not understand them. 
I couldn't switch out, and so I went to the head of the physics department, and I said, can I go to your lectures, because I'm not going to pass unless <laughs> something changes, and thankfully he said yes, and um, I literally went through a whole class not ever hearing one lecture, um, but, but I was able to get through it. There's good teachers, there's bad teachers, and then today we see there are false teachers. False teachers in Christianity, teachers that don't teach the truth, teachers that have their own agenda, and in the Bible you can see from the picture, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Sheep is always representative of a Christian. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark specifically, Jesus warned his disciples there will be these false teachers that will spread their lies. And when they spread their lies, it will infect the whole community, the whole church. Jesus compared these teachings to leaven, or as we would call it, yeast. And leaven will spread throughout the whole lump of dough. Jesus explained this, lots of leaven isn't from heaven. Lots of leaven isn't from heaven. Just because they sound religious or look religious doesn't mean they are teaching the truth. In fact, when you kind of read the whole New Testament, you begin to realize there's a lot of warnings in the New Testament about false teaching. A lot. Look out for these false teachers. If you see them, you've got to stop them. In fact, you've got to remove them from the church. Otherwise, they will spread their lies. How many of you are aware there are false teachers in our churches today? Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're aware of it. Sadly, though, a lot of these false teachers are the most popular teachers in our world today. They're the faces that you often see on some Christian television programs. You may even like some of them. You may have read one of their books or listened to some of their sermons. And you may not have realized that they have been lying to you. It's subtle. They cover it a lot with the the Christian vernacular, if you will. But we have to call them out and point them out and not fall under their teaching. I understand if I bring up someone or if you feel the need to defend someone that you really like, but I'm just asking you to honestly look at what they teach, line it up with the Word of God, compare it to the Word of God. In fact, I have a three-question test that I'll share with you at the end that you can ask any teacher, any preacher, and see, are they truly a good teacher, or are they a false teacher? There's another picture I have that's always been frightening to me. It's disturbing. I don't know how they got that wolf to wear that sheep's outfit. That is really impressive that they, I'm sure it's photoshopped. But it's disturbing. It's scary looking. But so are false teachers that look like Christians. And I'm a pastor. And the word pastor means shepherd, shepherd of sheep. And so my calling by God is to protect you. Like, you're here today to hear the word of God, to worship God, to come together in community. And I feel this this overwhelming responsibility, like God is going to hold me accountable, that if I don't share with you the truth, 
And I don't bring to light that there are some teachers out there that are false teachers, then just because the majority go with it, like them, doesn't mean they are good. You have to really do your research, or at least ask someone like myself who can help you do the research, because lots of leaven isn't from heaven. I want to protect you. I have to bring to light what's going on. I don't want you to be naive. You know, Paul said this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.14. I don't want you to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That word doctrine means teaching. By human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. I really want you to know the truth. The truth is important. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the truth. That's my prayer for you. To rightly handle the truth. To know the truth. So you can protect yourself against false teaching. I've shared this example before of how a counterfeit specialist becomes a counterfeit specialist. But I'm going to share it again in case you've not heard it before. So if you work for the government and you want to be a counterfeit specialist, because there's always going to be people who are going to try to make money um, counterfeit, right? They're going to try to pretend and pass it off. Well, a counterfeit specialist does not start by looking at the fake money. A counterfeit specialist begins their training by studying the real thing. They study the real thing. They know everything about real money. All of its nuances, everything about it. They study it and study it and study it. And then they are presented with fakes so that they can immediately spot, oh, that's different, oh, that's different, oh, that's different. The same goes for how do you spot a false teacher? You've got to know the real thing. You've got to know the Word of God. The Bible. For the word is the lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And i got to tell you, I, I don't pick the sermon topics. If you've been in this church long enough, you know that I'm not really a topical sermon preacher. We don't do a lot of, it's been a long time since we've ever done a series on this or a series on that. You might go to churches, they do series after series after series, and they're always series that, that, that people are interested in and draws a crowd. I preach through the Bible. Right? This whole year we've been preaching, I've been preaching through the Gospels, the harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm preaching through the Gospels, and here we are in Matthew 16, and the topic, the, 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 the main theme, if you will, is false teaching. The Holy Spirit is bringing this up. And there's no, I'm, no, I'm confident that you came to church, you are listening today, if you're on Facebook listening, or if you're watching this video you know, after, it's, it, after today, you needed to hear this. God has this plan, and he wants you to hear this message on what does it mean to be a false teacher, and what are false teachers, and where are they, and how do I spot them, and all of that. So here we are in Matthew 16. You have a Bible with you? You can open it up if you want, or you can have the words come up on the screen. If you would like a free Bible... We have them in the back. If you're our guest today, please visit by the TV back there. There's actually a free coffee cup uh, for you for coming today. So take home a free coffee cup. Take home a free Bible. Um, and uh, we're in Matthew 16. Jesus 
is uh, confronted by the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. They asked him, show us a sign from heaven that you are whoever you say you are. Now, if you were here last week, you remember I gave a breakdown of these religious leaders. I told you what a Pharisee was. I told you where they came from. I told you about Sadducees. I told you about Herodians. I told you about scribes. And if you remember from last week, if you were here last week, you know these Pharisees and the Sadducees don't usually hang out together. Pharisees are the conservatives. Sadducees are the liberals. I mean, this is like Republicans and Democrats hanging out together. When does that happen? All right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to Jesus for one reason only. He's public enemy number one. All the religious leaders hate him. This is the last year of his life on earth. And they are going to attack him. They are going to find some evidence so that they can shut him down because he is threatening their way of life. This is what Jesus was up against. So, verse 2, Jesus responds to them. You want a sign? He says this, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, the sky is red. In the morning, you say it will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You can, appear, you can interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, we have a lovely saying for this. You know the saying maybe, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. That's right. And I'm a fisherman, I'm out on my boat, and so I'm well aware of these um, sayings. But Jesus gives them this. Then in verse 4, he says, You are an evil and adulterous generation seeking a sign, but I give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. And then he left them. And what's the sign of Jonah? If you see in the Gospels, you know the sign of Jonah. Jonah, of course, is the prophet who was swallowed by a fish for three days. Spent three days in the belly of a fish. So what is Jesus saying here? Simply that I will die on the cross, I will be buried, and three days I will be resurrected. That's the only sign that he is going to give them. Of course, they didn't get that. At all. But verse 5, the disciples reached the other side, and it says they had forgotten to bring bread. So they leave these religious leaders, they get into the boat as they traveled off, and they head to the other side. And they get to the other side, and when they get to the other side, the disciples realize they're hungry, and they don't have any bread. And I'm not really surprised by that, because guys don't really know how to pack for the future. Am I right, fellas? We don't pack for the future. No way. But women, if there was 12 women in the boat with Jesus, there would have been bread, water, fish, knitting tools, a deck of cards, wipes, perfume, gum. Women are born prepared. Am I right, ladies? Just look in your purse right now. I guarantee you got it all. My wife prides herself on the fact that she can keep the kids busy all the time. Doesn't matter. But they're not prepared. They don't have food. They don't have the bread. So verse 6, Jesus says to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in verse 7, 
they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Now, here's what you've got to understand. Between verse 6 and verse 7 is a very long, awkward silence. As often would be the case, when Jesus would say something, would teach them in a parable, they would not understand it. So Jesus says to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then he stops and he waits for their response. And you can just picture what the disciples did. When when you're in class and the teacher wants to call on somebody, what do you do? Head down. Don't look at me. I'm not answering this question. And the disciples were like, Peter. What's he talking about? John, do you understand? They don't want to answer this question. They don't don't know what to say. So then they just start arguing and pointing fingers at one another. You idiot, you forgot the bread. We're going to starve. But Jesus isn't even talking about food, is he? No. He's giving them a spiritual lesson. And in verse 8 he says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, do you not remember five loaves for 5,000 and then there was so much left over, you all had lunch the next day? Verse 11, or 10, seven loaves and the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered after that? How is it that you fail to understand? I'm not talking about bread I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood he was talking about their teaching. Jesus said, lots of leaven isn't from heaven. Now, I shared this example before as well, but I'll share it again. It's been a long time because it's been very helpful for our family. If you have children, you're going to love this story. You're going to want your children to know this story because you're going to use this as a reference as your children grow up. There was a father that had two preteen girls, and they loved going to the movies. What teenage girls don't love going to the movies. And out came a movie, a new movie, with their favorite actors, and they wanted to see this movie so bad. The problem was is that it was PG-13. And their dad said, no, you... You can't go, and he looked it up and figured out that there were some inappropriate scenes in the movie that he didn't want his daughters to see. So he said no, and they begged their dad, come on, dad, it's just a couple scenes. You know, it's just a minute or two of the movie, and the rest of the movie is fine. He still said no. They batted their baby brown eyes at him. Daddy, daddy. And my daughter's right here in the front row. She knows that works sometimes. But dad held his ground. He said, no, you are not going to see this movie. They persisted. They just kept at it. Then one day they came home from school, opened the door, and smelled the delicious aroma of homemade brownies. And they love dad's brownies. And they wanted to eat these brownies, and he said, girls, sit at the table, I'm going to get you a big, big brownie, and you can have a snack. And he said, uh, here you go, and served them up, and before they could take a bite, he said, hold on. He goes, you've you got to understand something, I made 
your brownies the same way I always make them, except this time I added a special ingredient. I took a little bit of dog poop from the yard. Just a little tiny bit. And I mixed it in with the batter. Bon appetit. <laughs> you know those girls didn't touch the brownies. But he used it as a lesson to say, sometimes just a little bit affects the whole batch. Lots of leaven isn't from heaven. And there are teachers today in Christianity that got some poop in their brownies. They're teaching you something that's hidden and you might not see it unless you really know the Word of God. I have a friend who has worked at a Christian bookstore for the last 20 years. Christian bookstores have a lot of different sections. I'm sure you've been in them before. And one of the sections in a Christian bookstore is labeled doctrine, teaching. And that's where you're going to find, you know, typically your, your study aids for the Bible. It's not the Bible section, you know, you got that as a separate section. But you got your doctrinal section, you got your commentaries on the Bible, you got your concordances, you got your ways to dig into the Bible and really understand the Bible. Well, 20 years ago, my friend said that there were four four-foot bookshelves dedicated to doctrine in this bookstore. 16 feet wide and high of doctrine, teaching. People would buy those books regularly. Today, there is one bookshelf. Because people don't buy those books anymore. They go into the bookstore to buy the books of the authors that will make them feel good. And I'm not surprised because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Paul wrote to Timothy, A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. That's what's happening in our world today. Yesterday, Ethan and I got a chance to go to the U of M football game. Go Blue! All right, so go State. All right, I know you guys won too, so congratulations there. But on our walk back to the car, quite a long walk from where we parked, um, by the way, I, I always park uh, at New Life Church, which is uh, the home church of Chris Gentz, our missionary, who now is, uh, ironically, uh, the head pastor at Western Michigan. And that's who Michigan played yesterday, Western Michigan. So I haven't called him yet to rub it in, but um, he's kind of a, he graduated from U of M. So he, he's been a missionary in campus ministry for um, many, many years now. And so we were walking back, and there was another church uh, on campus uh, that uh, was a main denomination. I won't call it out because I don't, I don't want to do That's not the point of this. But they had a, a sign on their front lawn, and it said, In our congregation, we believe. And it made some statements about what they believe. And I just want to point them out to you so you can see what I'm talking about, what's coming, what's happening in churches. They believe love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Science is real, and all genders are whole, holy, and good. 
Now, based on that one sign, I could probably tell you what they don't believe. The truths of the Bible. Because when you dig into the Bible, you see some real truths, some absolute truths. And you have 18 to 22-year-old kids. Call them kids now, because I'm twice that. But there's 18 to 22-year-olds that need real truth more than ever in their lives. Right? I mean, they're exploring a lot of things, and they need real truth. They need to know that God is love. Not love is love. God is love. They need to know that they are made, they were made in their mother's womb. And he has created a whole wonderful universe. And only through our identity in Jesus Christ can we truly be made whole, holy, and good. As a church, we cannot miss the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of young people for the kingdom of God. Where does it say in the Bible the church is supposed to be politically correct? Where does it say in the Bible we're supposed to make everyone happy? It doesn't. In fact, Jesus, I preached a message a while back on Jesus being divisive. The gospel will offend people when it's taught correctly. It should offend people because there can only be one way. But there are churches that are teaching there are all paths lead to heaven. I cannot cover all of the false teaching that's going on in in the Christian circles today, but I just bring up two big movements so that you're aware of them, and I'm sure you are with this next one. It's called the Word of Faith Movement, also known as the Prosperity Gospel. Uh, I encourage you to watch, I pointed this out before, there's now two documentaries called American Gospel. Uh, I watched the first one, I'm looking forward to the second one, but um, the American Gospel documentaries um, do a good job of bringing to light uh, the gospel that's being taught and is popular, um, the Prosperity Gospel, uh, the Word of Faith Movement. I encourage you really not to watch TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, because that's um, owned by Prosperity Thinking, and most of the people that show up on that programming network are Prosperity Teachers. So what's wrong with the Prosperity Gospel? You might want to know. It's not the whole Gospel. It's the good without the bad. How can you see what Jesus did on the cross? How can you understand that? if you think you're good. We are not good. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's commandments. We all need a Savior. That's what makes the cross good. That's what makes the gospel good. Knowing that we are broken and we need saving. And Jesus is our Savior. But the prosperity gospel doesn't teach that. They just teach you that you are good and you can have it all and you should have it all right now. That's what it sounds like. In fact, Joel Osteen's bestseller is called Your Best Life Now. Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Joseph Prince, they're all teaching the prosperity message. There's lots more. You will do your research. If you come across them, you'll see It's possible that you have believed some of the prosperity messages, the gospel, give you a few 
statements here and, and, and maybe you realize that you've been having some poop in your brownies, all right? Do you believe that God wants you to be rich? Do you believe that you don't have what you prayed for because you lack faith? Do you believe Christians should not suffer? See, these are truths in the Bible, but when you take them out of context, that's what the prosperity gospel teachers do. They take those truths out of context and apply them to a way of saying, you can have what you want now. The second movement of churches is a kind of a newer thing. You probably will have not heard this. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation, N-A-R. New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, but it's really been going on. This new apostle idea has been going on since the beginning. By the way, how many apostles are in the Bible? Twelve. Twelve apostles in the Bible. And did those twelve apostles complete the Bible? Like they're they're the, the authors of the Bible, right? Mainly, most of them are the authors of the Bible. And the Bible was complete after the twelve apostles, through, through the twelve apostles, correct? The apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church, uh, Acts 20, 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Meaning, we have the whole gospel. Everything God wants us to know, everything he wanted to say, right, through the Holy Spirit, God moved the men who moved the pen. It's been written down. God doesn't need to say anything else. Nothing else needs to be written. We do not need new apostles with new revelations. However, in 610 A.D., Muhammad received a revelation, and now we have Islam. 1.7 billion followers. Second to Christianity. Joseph Smith, a new revelation in the 1820s. Now Mormonism has over 16 million members because they received a new revelation. The evil one masquerades as the angel of light, as the Bible tells us, and so there will continue to be those that claim to have new revelations. You may be familiar with this book. It's a devotional by Sarah Young called Jesus Calling. Extremely popular, bestseller. But did you know in the very first edition, which has now been edited out, she shared that she was not getting enough from the Bible. She wanted more. And so God gave her divine revelations, which she wrote down, which is what Jesus' calling is all about. I want you to be aware of this. I need you to be aware of this. There's also a new, very popular, in some Christian circles, translation of the Bible, translation of the Bible, called the Passion. It's not a translation, it's a false commentary on the Bible. It's written by one person named Brian Simmons, but it's being quoted a lot. I've seen it. Now that I'm aware of it, I've noticed it. It's called the Passion Translation. And I, I just, when you, when you hear something new, and, and at first it might like catch your attention like, ooh, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I like that. 
you got to go further than that. you got to go say, like, what's the source? Like, who's saying that? And what do they believe? Again, I'll give you three questions you can ask. But I, I, I took this little clip from a program that Brian Simmons was on so you can understand where does this passion translation come from. So we're going we're gonna to watch this two-minute clip real quick. 2009, Brian Simmons gets a new assignment. What happened? Jesus Christ came into my room. He breathed on me. And he spoke to me and said, I'm commissioning you to translate translate the Bible into the translation translation project that I'm giving you to do. And he promised that he would help me. And he promised me he would give me secrets of the Hebrew language. Do you believe when he blew on you there was an impartation for revelation? I do. I believe the spirit of revelation was given. And I have to say, when he breathed on me, in no way would I want to compare that to the uh, writers of the New Testament, the original writers, uh, you know, Moses and the Torah and Ezekiel. He breathed on me so that I would do the project, and I felt downloads coming instantly. I received downloads. It was like I got a chip put inside of me. I got a connection inside of me. Uh, You'll never want me back on the show when I tell you what happened then. What? Well, I have to tell you the truth. I saw a third book, and I knew the Lord told me I could only take two. And in heaven, whatever you think is put out over the loudspeaker. Everyone hears it. Your thoughts are broadcasted. So here's what I hear coming out of the loudspeaker, and it's my own thoughts. How can I steal this book? And then I said, oh, no, I'm shoplifting on God. I felt so ashamed that I, but I knew if I could take this book, there was this book so, if I could just take this book back with me to the natural realm, it would trigger awakening in all the nations of the earth. It would bring the, it would make the name of Jesus famous on the, in the world. But Jesus came to me and said, Brian, I cannot let you take this book. And he looked at me in the eyes with love that melted me. And he said, you are not ready for that book. Then he promised, but I will bring you back one day. And I will give you that book. What was the title? Written on the cover of the book was John 22. So there's so many things about that that are disturbing to me. Um, first of all, John, 20, John has 21 chapters. And so you can see clearly there that this is a person who believes um, that he is uh, given a new revelation. And there's just a lot of things that... But here's the point. He's already written it. It's for sale. People are buying it. People are quoting it. It's called the Passion Translation. And we have to be very careful about what we read and what we listen to because lots of leaven isn't from heaven. So I want to finish with some questions you can ask to test the spirits as we see in 1 Timothy 4. Test the spirits. Be like a Berean. You know in Acts, the Bereans examine the scriptures to make sure Paul was teaching the truth. So here's the first question. What does this teacher say about Jesus? Always want to know what they say about Jesus. 
Right after the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus asked Peter and the disciples, who do you say I am? Because they were talking about Jesus. Like, who is this guy? And Who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter was called blessed because of his response. Who do, who, what do they say about Jesus? Anyone who rejects Jesus' humanity, disagrees that he is equal with God, downplays his sacrificial death, or denies his resurrection, they don't know the real Jesus. So what do they say about Jesus? That's important. Second question, does this teacher preach the whole gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that the the gospel is about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The whole gospel. They'll say things like, God loves you, God has a plan for you, God wants you to have the best life. True statements, but in context, we have to know God also hates sin and he judges sin. He loves you, but he hates sin and he judges sin. He has a plan for you, but he also tests you. Regularly, he tests you, but he has a plan for you. In your best life, well, when does that happen? Let's be honest, right? I don't know that our voice is a loud, or our thoughts are a loudspeaker in heaven. I'm not sure where that came from, but I think in heaven, that's our best life. In the presence of God, where every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more sadness. If anybody preaches to you a gospel other than that which is in the Word of God, let him be eternally condemned, Paul says. Finally, does this teacher bear fruit? that glorifies God. Jesus said you prove you're a disciple when you bear much fruit. And false teachers are full of pride, not fruit. Pride. Jude, second to the last book in the Bible, wrote this 2,000 years ago, but we're still seeing it today. He said, they walk in the way of Cain. He's talking about false teachers. They walk in the way of Cain. What was Cain's problem? Well, he thought his plan was better than God's plan. So they think their plan is better than God's plan. They come up with their own plan, their own agenda. Jude says, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir. And what that means is, is they were, Balaam was greedy. And so they're out, false teachers, to manipulate others to make money. Right? I've heard of churches locally, they have lines. You're going to put $100 in the basket? You're in this line. You're going to put $500 in the basket? You're in this line. You're going to put $1,000? Sow a seed. Sow $100, you're going to get back $1,000. You're never going to hear me say that. That's Balaam's heir. And perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah elevated himself above Moses. And that's what false teachers do. They elevate themselves. They make themselves better than others. They call themselves things like apostles and such. I'm always leery of people who want to be called an apostle or a reverend. Don't call me reverend. You know I said that many times before. You don't revere me. Right? As John the Baptist said, I decrease so Jesus can be increased. The bottom line is if you see pride instead of fruits of the Spirit, it's probably a false teacher. Jude also said, in like manner, these people will rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. 
They're hidden reefs at your agape feasts. They feast without fear. They shepherd, the shepherds feed themselves. They are waterless clouds swept along by the winds. They are fruitless trees in late autumn. Remember three questions. What do, you, what do they say about Jesus? What gospel do they proclaim? And what fruit do they produce? Those are the three questions we want to ask ourselves. And finally, you've got to beware of those songs that you're listening to. Make sure they're coming from groups that are not in those prosperity, word of faith, new apostolic reformation churches. Make sure that they are coming to you with the word of God. Those, that's so important. So not all Christian songs have good theology.